This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. It's Tuesday, February 20th. Could all of Israel go on trial? We start here. Amid new outcries over its war tactics, Dozens of countries take Israel to court. Israel never officially annexed the West Bank, saying, like, it's mine, but it also never gave it up. This argument cuts to the core of the region's most basic land dispute. We'll walk you through it all. Diabetes cases are rising and amputations are rising even faster. It's easier to just tell someone we're going to be performing an amputation and move on. Why this crisis is affecting black and brown communities most of all. And companies love touting new AI systems, but are they ready to be sued over them? We can no longer trust what we see and what we hear. How one customer successfully blamed Air Canada. From ABC News, this is Start Here. I'm Brad Milkey. To watch the war unfolding in Gaza, it's often framed as half the world thinks one thing, the other half must be diametrically opposed. But that belies two key facts. One is this conflict is very nuanced, tons of gray area, tons of history. The other is at this point, the voices saying Israel's response is justified are absolutely dwarfed by the number of voices saying Israel's going too far. I'm of the view, as you know, that the conduct of the response in Gaza, in the Gaza Strip has been um, over the top. Earlier this month, President Biden clearly wanted to send a message to Israel. Its military had decimated huge swaths of Gaza, effectively cornering civilians in a tiny southern area known as Rafah, ahead of a potential military offensive. Well, then this past Friday, Israel raided a hospital. What the IDF calls a precise operation has rendered Nasser Hospital in southern Gaza useless. That's not me saying that. It's not Palestinian authorities. It's the World Health Organization saying Gaza's last remaining hospital can't take care of its patients. There's waste everywhere. Electricity uh, was uh, was not working. Not working. Parts of the hospital are damaged and some severely damaged. And while Israel says it found evidence there that Hamas was once again using hospitals as bases of operations, this raid drew widespread condemnation. And that was before a report came out yesterday from the United Nations. The UN's Human Rights Office saying UN experts have expressed alarm over credible allegations of egregious human rights violations to which Palestinian women and girls continue to be subjected to. This report says it is now seeing credible evidence that Gazan women and girls have been brutalized by Israeli soldiers through arbitrary detention, arrests, but there are also allegations of beatings, rapes, tales of women forced to strip naked for no apparent reason, and some allegedly kept in a cage in the rain. This report also calls for investigations into potential executions. Israel says it can't respond to this report because it doesn't list specific incidents. It does insist it's abiding by the rules of war. But now these calls for restraint are escalating beyond non-governmental organizations. They're starting to make their way into court. 
few weeks ago, South Africa, with its own history of systemic injustices, alleged that Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu was waging nothing short of a genocide. South Africa had the view that we could not stand idly by and continue to observe the killing of thousands of Palestinian citizens. Israel says this fight is only against Hamas, not the Palestinian people, and that it takes great care to limit civilian casualties. But yesterday, representatives from several countries gathered at The Hague at the International Court of Justice to argue that Israel is overstepping its bounds, not just in war, but in something even more fundamental. Please be seated. This case strikes to some of the core issues around this conflict. So I want to start with it today. ABC's chief national correspondent, Matt Gutman, is here. Matt, what is this case? What are the accusations? It's actually a case that was brought against Israel in December of 22. Um, And it was uh, based on a U.N. General Assembly um, decrying the occupation of the West Bank specifically um, by Israel. So just a really quick primer, Brad. Um, 1967, Israel launches a preemptive attack on multiple Arab states, its neighbors, including Jordan. Jordan at that time had or was in control of what we now know as the West Bank. Israel defeated Jordan, took the land, and never left. Israel never officially annexed the West Bank, saying, like, it's mine, but it also never gave it up. And in the interim, over the past 50-plus years, Israeli Jewish settlers have moved in to towns that they created, sometimes annexing or taking Palestinian land for it, and making homes, making villages, towns. Some of the towns are quite big. So it started out with just literally a few people um, in the very late 60s and then in the 70s, has now become about 400,000 settlers who live in the West Bank proper and a couple of hundred thousand additional Israelis who live in East Jerusalem, which is also contested still. So that is really the crux of what's at issue here. Um, And these 52 countries who are going to press the case against Israel saying that violates international law. And the proceedings were opened up by the Palestinian foreign minister, Riyad al-Maliki. The only solution consistent with international law is for this illegal occupation to come to an immediate, unconditional and total end. And if you ask the settlers who live there, they say, well, listen, if there is any place in the world where Jews have a right to the land, it's right here. If he says in the Bible, I want the children of Israel to live in the land of Israel, So for me, that's not only an imperative, it's an invitation. There is a reason that Jews have the name Jews. It's because they are from the area of Judea, which is the southern part of the West Bank. But Matt, just so I'm clear, like the war right now is in Gaza. You're hearing about like claims of genocide that Israel fiercely disputes. Does any of that have to do with this? Or you're saying this is just a completely historic thing that is coincidentally now coming up? Yeah, so the connective tissue here is that both the criminal case against Israel for genocide and this case against Israel for its occupation in the West Bank, well, and previously Gaza and East Jerusalem, they're both happening at the ICJ, the International Court of Justice. But that's really it. And so legally speaking, the two cases are not at all related, but obviously it has a lot to do with Israel's conduct in the West Bank and in Gaza as well. Since October 7th and the terrible rampage by Hamas on Israeli communities just outside the Gaza Strip, Peace Now says that 26 new illegal outposts were created. That is the most 
ever in a year. And they're saying that all of that happened after October 7th, which seems to indicate that settlers are using this moment to try to grab as much land as they possibly can um, because Israeli sentiment is so anti-Palestinian right now. Well, but that, So that makes me wonder, what actually comes of this, Matt? Because most Americans, for instance, do not know what the International Court of Justice is, right? The U.S. isn't even a signatory of it. Like, we don't recognize their authority. Neither do Israel or China or Russia, a bunch of countries. So, I mean, what is the significance of The Hague when it comes to this conflict? So it's kind of tricky, right? The Hague's rulings are binding, but there is no enforcement. So it would be on Israel to enact any changes that the ICJ demands, which is probably not going to happen, especially not under a Netanyahu government. Everybody who talks about a two-state solution, well, I ask, what do you mean by that? Should the Palestinians have an army? Multiple Israeli governments had said that they would trade most of the West Bank if they had a Palestinian partner they could work with. Right. A leader or a group of leaders who were powerful enough to enforce um, the agreements in a peace deal. And Israel has consistently said that that leader or group of people has not occurred and not risen up, and so it can't have peace and it can't give back the West Bank. At the same time, it has been building these settlements, which the U.S., and the international community have roundly called illegal. We both were very surprised that the president of the United States is uh, interested in people like us in Israel. And it is showing this international consensus that is growing against Israel, specifically because of its handling of the war in Gaza. The massive deaths. The indescribable amount of destruction of Palestinians' homes, uh, infrastructure, pretty much everything in the Gaza Strip, uh, well over 50% of all of the structures destroyed there. And in a normal year, U.S. officials might turn a blind eye to settlement activities, but not now. The government of Israel that is on the ground, that we have been very clear, needs to do more to arrest uh, extremist settlers engaged in violence and prosecute extremist settlers engaged in violence. They have been so rampant, especially some of the more fanatical settlers who've been trying to oust Palestinians from their land, who've been shooting at them. There have been cases of Israeli settlers shooting and murdering Palestinians. 17-year-old Taufik has now become an accidental martyr. Farmer Bilal Saleh shot while picking olives with his family in their own fields. And the U.S. is no longer turning a blind eye. For the first time, they are sanctioning specific settlers for their actions in the occupied territory, specifically the West Bank. They're attacking Palestinians in places that they're entitled to be. It has to stop. This is going to get even more tricky for the U.S. to navigate, and they're going to have to crack down on Israel to some degree, depending on what the ICJ ruling is. Yeah, that's interesting. We see Israel as, as an American ally. However, when you have literally over 50 countries bringing this case at The Hague, you imagine the U.S. wants to have relationships with them, too, and doesn't only want it to be us versus the world. Okay, Matt Gutman, thanks as always. You got it, Brad. Next up on Start Here, we have all these new diabetes drugs, so why are doctors performing more and more amputations on diabetes patients? We're back in a bit. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Have you ever wondered what you would do with an extra hour in your day? I think about this all the time. I'm like, I would be so productive. I'd exercise more, or I'd read a book, or I'd take a nap, like restore myself. We often find ourselves yearning for these extra hours, but the real question is, what would you do if you were making yourself a priority? Well, how about therapy? 
It can help you discover what's important so you can make the most of your time. If you've ever benefited from therapy, you know how transformative it can be. It's not just for those who have experienced major trauma. Therapy empowers you to learn positive coping skills, set boundaries, and become the best version of yourself. If you're considering starting therapy, you should give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and tailored to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire. You'll be matched with a licensed therapist. And here's the beauty of it. You can switch therapists if you're not finding the right fit. No additional charge. Take the first step, learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash start here today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash start here. We all know there are things in life that you have to compromise on, but when it comes to your health, there should be no compromise. Don't go back to that one doctor, you know the type, like I've had this person before, that doesn't actually listen to you or who seems just in a rush to end your appointment that you spent months making. Instead, check out ZocDoc, the place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your health. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. You can search by location, availability, and insurance. So, no compromises here, because with ZocDoc, you got more options than you know. We're talking about booking appointments with tens of thousands of top-rated, patient-reviewed, credible doctors and specialists. Go to ZocDoc.com slash start here and download the ZocDoc app for free, then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's ZocDoc, Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash start here. ZocDoc.com slash start here. When I hear about amputations, I think about moments of trauma that few could have seen coming, right? A car accident, a wartime injury. In fact, the days of lots of people getting amputations, that seems long gone. Medicine's come a long way since the Civil War era. But in the last 20 years, we've actually seen more and more amputations from a disease that seems like it should be preventable, diabetes. And here in Black History Month, it's worth pointing out that these numbers are racing upwards, especially in communities of color. ABC Steve Osinsami has just put together a special report on this, which is airing on Hulu right now. Steve, it's fascinating because I, I didn't think that this was getting worse. You know, it it is. Um, One of the things that we discovered is that every three and a half minutes in America, there is a diabetic who needs an amputation because of disease that they weren't able to manage. Every three and a half minutes. Wow. As you point out, the incidence of diabetes across America is increasing. We worked with um, our data and medical teams on this and poured through years of numbers from American hospitals and county health departments. And we found that the number of diagnosed diabetics nationwide is up more than 7% since 2001. However, over that same period, the number of people needing to have a limb cut off has grown more than twice as fast, up 18%. And that's even with a drop in surgeries during the worst of the pandemic. We're talking about 154,000 toes, arms, legs, and feet that are cut off of diabetics every year. I did have a doctor who came in and told me, you need to pray. It's either two, two ways of this, you either keep it and die or we amputate it. It's easier to just tell someone we're gonna be performing an amputation and move on. One very important thing I wanna underline about this special is the people who worked on it, and that includes myself and at least a dozen or, or so others, Every single one of us has someone in our lives who either 
has or had diabetes, or who died from the disease, or who needed an amputation because of the disease. And one of those people was my father. Um, his diabetes ended up costing him his vision, function of his kidneys, and it nearly cost him his legs. I remember going home um, one day during all of this, and I start, I, I look in the fridge, and not a vegetable to be seen. Orange juice, grapefruit juice, gra grape juice, uh, you know, starches, all these things they tell diabetics not to have. And I look at my dad, I'm like, why in the world are you not doing better? And he said to me, um, well, the medicine will take care of it. Well, it didn't. He died. Um, and every single person who worked on this special had a similar story um, with people in their lives. The, the problems are complex. A lot of the responsibilities on the patients who should do better. But a lot of the problems we found are systematic, mm -hmm. th that the system doesn't help these patients as best they can and oftentimes uh, leads them down the road to amputations that could be prevented, but it would take a little bit more work. Wow. And, and just a refresher to our listeners about like how diabetes works. Normally, your body produces insulin to help move sugar from your blood into your cells. Sometimes people are born without the ability to produce insulin. That's type 1 diabetes. Other times, your cells can stop responding to insulin as you grow older and your pancreas is trying to make more of it. That's type 2. And if that starts affecting circulation, that's when you start getting into amputation territory. So, you know, you're right. We spoke to a man from Atlanta named Shelton Eccles. This, nothing's going to happen to me. I've, I've lived with this 45 45 years. I've drank soda 45 years. He was diagnosed with diabetes uh, many, many, many years ago. I was pretty much what I call myself an uh, on and off again diabetic uh -huh. because I took my medicine when I was going to the doctor to try to get positive numbers. There's a test that you take called the A1C. And what it does is it's a simple blood test that you take that measures your blood sugar levels over the past three months. I, I probably would stop the sugar a day before. A day before. A day before. Thinking that was gonna help you. Thinking A1C. it was gonna help, yeah. yeah. 5.6 or below is normal. Between 5.7 and 6.4 is pre-diabetic. Anything 6.5%, that's blood sugar is what we're talking about, or more is the full-blown disease. Shelton, as he shares, was a 14. 14 in your 30s. 14 in my 30s. Did you have it in your family? I think, as far as I know, I'm the only one. One day, he had a sore on his foot, and it wouldn't heal. Now I'm, I'm zoning in and out at this point. I remember getting up, opening the door, and after that, I don't remember anything else that happened. He's now in the ICU, and they essentially tell him, this has gotten to the point, this sore won't heal because of your high blood sugar that has robbed your legs of circulation, that... Um, you know, the, the best decision that they could make at the time was to cut off his leg below the knee. Mm. And he, of course, is realizing what this is going to mean for his life and still being resistant. But they basically told him his life depended on it. Once that happened, my daughter came to me and she and that's when she leaned down and she said, Dad, we need you. Go ahead and let them do what they got to do. I said, let's do it. 
little smaller step with that wrap. He ended up getting a metal replacement. He has a prosthetic, and he had to learn to walk again. I told y'all about a new year. I was gonna walk on out the cane, and I'm walking on out the cane. Peep it out, everybody see this. And it was that event that caused him to um, essentially change. Where's your A1C now? A1C right now is at a seven. Wow, you went down seven. from a 14 to a 7. From a 14 to a 7. Wow. Yes. One of wow. the things that he tells you today is that he says it was entirely his fault. Mm. That's what he'll tell you. But we discovered that there are other reasons at play. Yeah, talk about this, Steve, because what was shocking to hear you say is not just that diabetes numbers are going up, but that the number of amputations is almost outpacing the growth in diabetes. That, like, we're that much... I don't know, are we that much quicker to cut someone's leg off at this point? What What is happening here? So the, the number of amputations is outpacing the number of diabetics more than twice as fast, up 18%. These surgeries are happening more often to diabetics who live in majority black and brown communities, no matter what part of the country. And they're happening mostly in the South. Very often their symptoms are ignored. Very often, they are not given adequate information about options. Part of the reason why race matters here is because most of the doctors treating these patients don't look like these patients. A cardiologist by the name of Dr. Richard Brown points out. In the United States, less than 5% of the cardiologists are black. And quite frankly, there is evidence that if you are taken care of by someone who looks like you, you're more likely to comply with their recommendations. The other thing that Brown points out is unconscious bias on the part of practitioners, of physicians. You make your own determination that, hey, maybe he can't come back three or four times for the appropriate care for his PAD, so I'm going to do him a favor and just amputate the leg. It's much easier to tell a patient who you're not necessarily certain is going to listen to any recommendations you make, just that the simplest thing at this point is just to cut the leg off or cut the arm off, as opposed to exploring other options. The first thing that I felt were cramps in my calves uh, when I walked. We met a patient who had this exact same experience. His name is J.B. Starks in Chicago. He was in an emergency room in Cook County. He had frostbite on his left foot that wouldn't heal. They determined then that I had peripheral artery disease and I'm presenting gangrene in my left foot. Um, so the conversation was, well, it's time for amputation. That set off alarm bells for him, and he went to another facility. I met my vascular surgeon. The gentleman um, was a person of color. And so we placed stents in my right leg to improve time. the circulation at the same time okay. as we did the amputation on my left foot. Yeah. That um, surgeon saved most of his left foot. He, only, he ended up losing his most of his toes and saved all of his right leg because he knew they, they discovered in the emergency room that he had circulation issues in, in both legs. Had they cut off my left leg, I doubt that they would have left my right leg 
which would have changed my life oh my God, completely. Yeah. This was six years ago. I couldn't ma imagine being 71, being a double amputee. Steve, I'm wondering what happens next then. Like, you, you do have new treatments for diabetes, right? The, the drugs Ozempic and Manjaro have been described as game changers. Is that the answer or what is? Oh, yeah. Um, Ozempic, Manjaro, Rebelsis, I mean, Trulicity, there's a whole bunch of them. They're all from this class of, of medicine that work by slowing down um, the way food moves through the system. And so they cause weight loss and they also um, can lower the risk of amputations, according to one study, by as much as 50%. I mean, that's just, it's, it's huge. When we moved to Ozempic, I've lost about 42 pounds. What is your A1C right now? 6'3". 6'3", that's yeah. good. Yeah. The problem is that in black and brown communities, there is a resistance to injections and in particular um, drugs that remind anyone of insulin. Mm. And all of these drugs, for the most part, with the exception of rebelsis, are injections. And part of the reason why is because there's um, a cultural feeling that when you're on insulin, you're done. You're at the end. There's nothing you can do. Your life is over. And um, and that's in large part from what many black and brown Americans have seen. The other thing, and this is specific to black and brown Americans, is that there's a distrust in the healthcare system, in particular when it comes to um, drugs. And that goes all the way back to the experiments on uh, black men in Tuskegee, Alabama. Um, you know, the memory of all of those things is is long. Yeah, I'm wondering, you said at the outset how this affects so many people. What should the takeaway be for those of us who want to protect ourselves or our loved ones? There's a simple test you can take. Um, it's called an ABI test. Essentially, it's a blood pressure test that compares the blood pressure of your arms, uh, your, your hands and arms, to your feet. And if there is a significant difference, then they know something's up. Um, and currently, Unless you already have symptoms, it's not covered by Medicare or Medicaid. Wow. And so Dr. Brown, um, along with uh, a few other people we spoke with, what they're trying to do is to get the this simple, simple 10-minute test to be covered even if you don't have symptoms. Because most people who are at risk of losing a limb because of a diabetic complication have no symptoms at all. So think about this, a disease that you might know nothing about, never heard about it, and now you don't have any symptoms. And so that's, I think, the big takeaway from Dr. Brown. So we started an initiative at Johnson & Johnson called Save Legs, Change Lives. And so Johnson & Johnson is going around the country where they're offering this test for free. And um, on the day that I took the test here in Atlanta, there were two people before me who were told that they were at risk for an amputation as a result of diabetes that was um, uh, not being managed well. Wow. And, uh, and that's the kind of sort of wake up call that I think a lot of people need. Yeah, and this report is called Severed. It's on ABC News Live and on Hulu, streaming right now. And the lead of your piece is, Steve, I'll never forget this line. Some people call it the sugar, and yet that is too sweet a name for what diabetes is. Just incredible reporting. Thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. 
Okay, one more quick break. When we come back, they replaced customer service people with machines and then said they weren't responsible for the machines getting stuff wrong. A crash landing for AI. One last thing is next. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts. And one last thing. The New York Times has filed a lawsuit in federal court against Microsoft and chat GPT maker OpenAI. This, the latest example highlighting the growing dangers posed by artificial intelligence to mimic the voice of former President Donald Trump without disclosing. Artificial intelligence has been everywhere in the news recently for lots of reasons. It's having some teething issues as we try to figure out where it belongs in our everyday lives. There's a fear that AI could replace some job roles, graphic design, customer service. And actually, lots of companies are already experimenting with AI customer service. They've been doing it for a while. In fact, back in 2022, an Air Canada customer named Jake Moffat used their website chatbot service to help with the problem he was having. See, his grandmother had just died. He was looking to book something called a bereavement flight, which is a discount offered to customers who are looking to get back home for a funeral. Airlines do it all the time. Moffat asked the chatbot on the Air Canada site how to get the discount. The computer apparently said, quote, if you need to travel immediately or have already traveled and would like to submit your ticket for a reduced bereavement rate, kindly do so within 90 days of the date your ticket was issued. There's just one problem. Air Canada's policy doesn't exactly work like that. When Jake came back from his grandmother's funeral, he tried to claim that discount. He was within the 90 days. It was just like the chatbot told him to. That's when he found out Air Canada doesn't offer this discount retroactively. But let's rewind how the chatbot put it. If you need to travel immediately or have already traveled and would like to submit your ticket for a reduced bereavement rate, kindly do so within 90 days of the date your ticket was issued. Luckily for Jake, he had receipts, screenshots of his conversations with the chatbot. He sent them to Air Canada, but they told him he should have double-checked the written policy on their website. That's the real one. To which he said, what? You want me to double-check your website against a different part of your website? Well, months and a lawsuit later, Air Canada has now admitted the chatbot was misleading in its advice, and they've been forced by a Canadian court to give him his refund. They initially said they designed this as an experiment, but that they will comply with the ruling. That's kind of the issue here. The whole AI space is experimental, but companies are moving forward with it at alarming speeds. This morning, OpenAI, the company behind ChatGPT, introducing the world to this groundbreaking text-to-video AI tool called Sora. A day after Moffat won his case, OpenAI, the makers of ChatGPT, announced their new partnership with Sora, a photorealistic video software that they claim will soon allow users to generate hyper-realistic videos with a text prompt. Like, conceivably, if you type in shirtless Vladimir Putin smelling flowers, that's what you'll see, whether it's real or not. It's going to shift everything for us. We can no longer trust what we see and what we hear. 
if stuff like this can look convincing, it's got big implications for spreading disinformation. And when you think about the case of Air Canada, it also raises new questions, like could they create video calls helmed by AI-generated agents? Would those agents even be speaking on behalf of the company, or is it just their best guess? How would you even know if you're talking to a human or a machine? By all accounts, the Sora software still has some work to go before it's released to the public. So here's the thing, it is not perfect yet. The example that OpenAI gave is it doesn't understand cause and effect. So if you prompt someone to, for example, bite a cookie, the cookie might not have a bite mark. And, and this is key because Air Canada's chatbot also didn't understand cause and effect. It didn't have to deal with the effects of saying the wrong thing. It was the customer that had to face the reality of a months-long legal battle while programmers were thinking about their 30,000-foot view. Air Canada's defense should have been, you guys never trusted Clippy on Microsoft Word. Like, why would you trust our guy? Hey, if you haven't left a review for Start Here before, please do. It really helps us out. And I should say, lots of great reviews lately on Apple Podcasts. So thank you so much, Libby, who says, you ask the questions the rest of us are thinking. Charlotte says she can't start her day without Start Here. And Anna, who said she didn't realize how important the show was to her until it was having trouble uploading to Apple on Friday. Sorry about that, by the way, Anna. I was noticing that too. Luckily, we got it resolved. You got your fix. I'm Brad Milkey. See you right on time tomorrow. Thank you.